All right, you are now tuned in to the Follow Through with Clips and Drew, the True Players Podcast, episode 148, and the stage is set in the Western Conference. Clippers, Denver, Houston, and the Lakers. We're going to break down both of those series. Jimmy Buckets and the Miami Heat are up 2-0 on the reigning MVP in the Bucks, and Steve Nash is now officially the coach of the Brooklyn Nets. Is this true? So follow through with Clips and Drew. Drew, kick that intro music. Excuse me, I didn't mean to interrupt like Mount Vesuvius. I'm about due to erupt. Use it or I'm losing it. They say I need to loosen up. Tight, I'm well taught. I must do the max like Glutey us. I do have something to say. So you got to give it up. Give it up. You never heard like this before. What up, podcast world? What's up, everybody? You know what it is? You know where you're at. It is the follow through with Clips and Drew. The True Players Podcast, episode 148. We've spent the last half hour waiting for Drew's dog to go to sleep so we can record this episode <laughs> via Zoom. It's a tough life as a dog owner, Drew. It seems real tough to me. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, there's there's definitely about two moments during the day where it's kind of a hassle. Um, and, yeah, unfortunately, about the last half hour was one of those moments. Hey, we have a lot to go through today. We haven't recorded since Saturday, and so much has happened. But what happened this morning, as soon as I woke up from the farthest of right field this morning, the Brooklyn Nets hired uh, Steve Nash as their head coach. And I had to read it a couple times. I thought it was from a fake website, but it was from Woj. Woj dropped the bomb. And immediately I was like, wow, that is extremely random, right? And I, I already know about the relationship that him and KD have, like, uh, you know, the relationship with the Warriors. And then they started, you know, doing their own workouts in LA this past, you know, for a while now. Um, but no coaching experience whatsoever, minus being a player development like consultant. But now the head coach of next season's front runner to be, you know, the number one team in the East. So a few people were upset. Stephen A went, went, you know, to first take this morning and was extremely upset, saying that it was white privilege. I thought that was way too much. But as I've got to, you know, kind of soak it all in today, I think it might be a, ni- a nice pull. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I was just as surprised as you. I didn't even think that Steve Nash was interested in doing something like this, right? Like we had, we I had heard nothing from him that to indicate that he wanted to be involved in in any franchise in any capacity. Nevertheless, being the head coach, you know, I think the first thing that that it that popped into my mind when I read the news was that Sean Marks, the GM, and the Nets organization are aligning themselves with Kevin Durant. You know, they have two superstars, but it solidifies that they're trying to latch this horse onto Kevin Durant more so than Kyrie Irving, right? Because if they wanted to make sure that Kyrie stuck around, maybe they would get Tyrone Luce, someone that they won a championship together in Cleveland, um, or someone that maybe Kyrie recommended. But this is clearly a, uh, a pick from, obviously, Sean Marks has, a, has a, a really good relationship with Steve Nash. They played in Phoenix together, uh, but the relationship with Kevin Durant is much more stable and, and it's, it's actually one that you can call a relationship as opposed to, I don't even know if, if him and Kyrie have really engaged in, in any kind of conversations or anything like that over the, over the years. So this, you know, and I think it's a smart move. I mean, we know how volatile Kyrie can be and whether or not he even wants to play basketball or God knows he gets injured all the time. So I think this is a smart move. As far as that's concerned, if, if you had to pick, you know, who I'm going to put all my money behind, I would definitely put it behind Kevin Durant before I put it on um, Kyrie. But, 
as far as like his coaching ability, that that's something that he's going to have to prove to everybody. I mean, for the last couple of years, he's been doing more in the world of soccer than he has been doing in the world of basketball. He's been a soccer analyst for TNT for the Champions League, which I've really enjoyed. And he's a big supporter of some MLS teams. I know, I think he's a part of the LAFC ownership group. So I was literally shocked that, that he was even in the running for a job like this. But this isn't, I don't, the whole white privilege thing, I think kind of misses the mark. Uh, there's been several players regardless of their color that were really good that get their first coaching job in the NBA. I mean, Derek Fisher, Jason Kidd, just to name a couple uh, that, that quit, you know, playing and then immediately became head coaches. And I think what the number one thing that, that when you, when you bring a point guard in as a head coach, a former point guard, you just assume that they have a great feel for the game because that, you know, they're kind of the, the coach on the floor, if you will. So I think Steve Nash definitely has the basketball knowledge and IQ to be a head coach, but I just don't know how he's going to do all the other stuff, right? It's not just X's and O's when you're a head coach. We talk about that all the time. Like you have to deal with egos. And on this team, there's two huge egos that are going to be making a lot more money than him that, you know, may not necessarily think that, that he knows what he's doing in certain circumstances. I think so this will be interesting. I think he's a good, I think he's, he can be good, but he's going to have to prove it. We have no idea what he can be. We know that he's a brilliant basketball mind. He's one of the smartest guys probably of our generation. He's a leader. You know, he had, probably has great relationships. He's not that much older than a lot of these guys. And I think that making Kevin Durant and Kyrie happy is a very important thing because we all know, again, Kyrie can be hot and cold and so can KD. I think they're going to bring um, – I, I think their offense is going to be more freedom for Kyrie and KD to do what they want to do along with, like, moving the basketball. They have a really good supporting cast. I mean, Dinwiddie and Karras, they got a big man in Jarrett. We saw that they have some pieces from the bubble that will fit in perfectly for this squad. Uh, I, I get what Stephen A. was saying. Jacques Vaughn's been, you know, you know, an assistant coach for 12, 13 years under Pop, you know, played in the NBA again as a point guard. He's African-American. Uh, he, he has, a, obviously, a relationship with that squad. And it was an interesting note today. Um, in 2012, uh, there was 14 black head coaches, and today there are five out of 30 in the NBA. So especially yeah, and three just got fired. Right. I don't think necessarily uh, you have to hire black right now. Like if you hire the best person for that job, and if the if the best person for that job ha happens to be somebody that has no NBA coaching experience, then maybe you can go out on a limb and do this. But I thought of, you know, I'd like to have somebody that's at least been an assistant coach for a couple of years. And there's guys like right. Sam Cassell and Ty Lue and Fizdale and guys like this who are bona fide and been on, you know, know exactly what they're doing. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what kind of coach he is. And you're, you're so right with the X's and O's. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie said today, like, coaching is a, a lot like being a psychologist, you know, like you have to know and navigate your group. You know, and Steve Nash, everybody that's ever played with Steve loves Steve from top to bottom. Organizationally, he's a great guy. But is he going to be the what if, what if, you know, the Nets have a horrible month, you know, one, one bad month where they drop nine of 13, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's always going to be on Steve now. Like, they shouldn't have hired this guy. And maybe that takes a little pressure off of KD and Kyrie. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always the coach. We know this. It's always the coach that's the scapegoat. I mean, the players are very rarely held accountable. 
and they're the major assets, right? The coach can't put the ball in the bucket. So that they're always the first to go and the first to get blamed. Um, I, I will be intrigued to see what kind of offense Steve Nash runs. Um, we all, I think, you know, most people are assuming it's going to be similar to the Dan Tony system that he was a part of. And even, you know, before that with, uh, with, with Donnie Nelson in, in Dallas, those are really fast pace offenses, right? Especially the Phoenix ones, seven seconds or less. I don't know if we can automatically assume that that's the offense he wants to run. I, I'm sure that the, the that Kyrie and Kevin Durant can play in whatever system that that he decides, uh, but I do hope that instead of coming in with this you know this thought and this idea that he actually fits you know his his structure and his offense and defense with the players that that they have. I mean, it's possible that they do this whole thing where they just run like you know kind of do what the Rockets are doing and, and just do seven seconds or less with with KD at the power forward position or something along those lines. And you get Spencer out there and Kyrie at the same time, and, and you got Levert, and then you you know Jared or whoever else they want to bring in. I think the interesting thing too is is going back to what you said about Jacques Vaughn. They're keeping him, so right. I, I they value his relationship with the the roster for sure. I think with the current roster, mm-hmm. and he's going to be the highest paid assistant coach in the NBA next year. And so I honestly think what they have there is they have the fail safe, right? They know that Jacques was able to take the reins this year after they let Kenny Atkinson go in the middle of the season. So if they do have a bad month or a, you know, a bad several months and Steve Nash just isn't the guy, I think they just go, well, we're keeping him in our back pocket because if this whole Nash thing blows up in our face and it doesn't work, we have a, we have a guy that we can trust ready to go. I'm, I'm really hoping that Kyrie takes this opportunity to realize who this guy is. You know, two-time MVP. He is the quintessential – I make, I've made every one of my players better since, you know, every team Steve Nash has been on, he's made every single player on that team better. And that's kind of what Kyrie has been lacking for a while now. So hopefully this can help Kyrie out. I, I, for some reason, I see that they're going to butt heads at some point. You know what I mean? Because I, I, I don't think they see the same way. Um, they have two totally different playing styles. Which so, is why I think, I, I think that's why that, the Nash signing is important because if, if that happens, I feel like Brooklyn's looking a little bit down the road. If Kyrie butts head with Nash or with Kevin Durant or people in the front office, whatever it is, they're going, all right, we're willing to stake everything on Kevin Durant. And if we have, if Kyrie hates it and wants to go, then we can deal him. But we're, we're leaning all the way into the KD thing. And, and Kyrie, they obviously want him to be a part of it, but sometimes you don't know where his head is at. I do think it will come down to how much, Kyrie respects Nash uh, from a player's point of view and, and just from, you know, what Nash was able to do in the league. I don't know. We don't know necessarily if Kyrie thinks he's a great player. We all assume that. I mean, it's hard to deny the fact that Steve Nash was a great player. He's in the Hall of Fame. He was a two-time MVP. You already said that. But we don't know. So it'll be interesting. I, I'm sure their first conversations that are happening even, you know, today or tomorrow um, over the phone or in person will will be a big thing like those first impressions and and you know I'm sure Kyrie he should be excited about this opportunity to learn from one of the greatest point guards ever and 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 maybe learn a little bit of what Nash does that is different like you just talked about like making your teammates better is something that Kyrie can definitely improve on yeah I wouldn't have been as shocked if if Brooklyn announced this morning that they signed Steve Nash as an assistant coach you know a player de- or head of player development for the 
Brooklyn Nets, I wouldn't have been as shocked. I would have been like, wow, great move, right? But it, I just think it's pretty random to put him automatically as a head coach. I found that pretty odd, but who knows? We have no idea. I mean, Brooklyn and the Warriors next season, we have no idea how good they're going to be. You know what I'm saying? Even with the Warriors having that pick. But moving forward, we have some games we need to cover um, that happened since Wednesday. And the first one being Denver and Utah, right? What I mean, these games that we're having, Drew, are coming down to the wire. These are some phenomenal, phenomenal games. The, this battle between Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray was just so amazing. And the points, 475 points these guys put up going against each other. That is just ridiculous, right? And uh, Murray has been on this kick, right? This is what superstars are made of. And for, for Utah to lose like that, right? Conley was so close, an inch shorter, bro. He would have had game winner, would have gone down as one of the most epic victories of all time. Um, but there was a lot of comparison. A lot of players were comparing Jamal Murray to Gilbert Arenas, which I really liked, right? And then Donovan Mitchell, D-Wade, way more. Like, I see way more D-Wade in Donovan Mitchell, right? I, I still have this thing about Jamal Murray. Like, what he's doing is amazing. I don't think he can keep it up. I mean, Drew, he's a career 15-3-3, and right? And he goes which – is, which is average, very average for Jamal Murray. But in this – in this bubble, we're seeing all these players just show out. I don't think that Jamal is going to be able to continue going into the second round. I don't think the 50s are going to happen. I felt that this series between Utah and Denver was more of Donovan and Jamal who are homies. You know what I mean? And there was kind of like a personal, you know, ego thing on this. Like, I, I, you know, what you can do, I can do better. And I just don't know if moving forward that Jamal – can continue to do what he what he's doing and another thing we, we we've been speaking about gobert a lot and i wanted to bring that up again i said it to myself when i was watching that game i'm like yo now i see why why i, I can see the assholeness in him but i can see how valuable he is to that team you know and how hard he works and how he knows his positions you know all those screens that he sets for donovan to get those shots and the simple fact that you that utah made it that far without their second best player on the squad. Yeah, that series was so much fun. I, I, I can only hope that we get that kind of matchup, uh, you know, more in these playoffs in years to come. Because these guys, Donovan, I mean, Utah should lock down Donovan for, for eternity if they can. He's off from a 10-year contract. And uh, Jamal has an extension already, so we know he's going to be in Denver for a while. Well, look, that really fast. He is going to sign. He's signing the four-year extension. Donovan is. That's already right. appreciation. Yeah, I think it's five years, 170. Mm -hmm. Pay me. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's well deserved. I mean, mm -hmm. you're not going to find a better talent that's that young in the, in the league. I mean, and what, so what both of those guys did is pretty historic. You said it already that the combined points has never been done before in a playoff series from two guys like that. Um, I really do think you're, you're right when it comes to like this next series, right? Denver now faces the Clippers. It's, it's a completely different matchup, right? In, in this series against Utah, the matchups were great for Jamal Murray. They, you know, they're running pick and rolls, and we know that Utah doesn't have much of a stopper on the perimeter, right? They, Mike Conley's good, but he's a little bit older. Um, their defensive player is Gobert. And so I think, obviously, on the other side, too, it's about the, the, the matchups. And for the, this Clippers series for Denver, Jokic now has to take the reins, right? You guys are going to do a really good job at harassing Jamal Murray. You have so many different players you can throw at him. We, I, mean, I don't know if 
Do you know if Pat Bev's going to be available? Scheduled to play tonight. Okay, so he's going to play. Okay, that, and that that's huge, obviously, because he's your best you know guard defender. Uh, but you have Paul George, you have Kawhi, you, you can throw so many different Marcus bodies Morris. at him. Marcus Morris. Yeah, Mar- Marcus Morris. And and the the matchup in favor for Denver now is Jokic, right? Because that's really where your weak spot is with Zubak. And you don't have a weak spot with Trez, but Jokic is significantly bigger than Trez and is comfortable playing on the perimeter too. So it, it, I do think it needs to shift for Denver to have success in the series moving forward against the Clippers. Jokic is going to be the guy that needs to really step it up and get into those 30 and 40 point games um, or, you know, significant triple double type numbers um, in order for Denver to, to keep this rolling. And Jamal, who knows, like it, honestly, some of the shots that he was hitting, it didn't matter what kind of defense was being played. So if he, if, if he is going to continue on that, then we have a whole nother level, but just the level of competition uh, is going to be a lot different for Jamal in this series, as far as defense is concerned. Um, I do want to say that we finally got to see Gary Harris uh, Mike Malone just keeping him in his back pocket until he was against the ropes for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and his presence was the reason Denver won game seven. If you remember that last play against Donovan Mitchell, head to head, he picks him. He, you know, Donovan goes around him. Gary sticks back in the play, picks the ball out, and they get the run out. And, um, and Jamal almost blew that play too, though. He could have just pulled up, you know, <laughs> the free throw line. And- yeah. Jacks it, and then Rudy steps out of bounds, and nobody says anything. I was going to bring that up because if if Conley did hit that shot, Denver and, and then Rudy you do, and Rudy steps out of bounds, bro. Oh, what the like havoc would have broke loose, uh, like it did in some of these other series that we had. But before we move on, you know Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray just put on a performance that we have never seen before. I can't I can't imagine it happening again, but. As far as like when we talk about like the shape of the league and the young people in the league as, as people like LeBron and Melo are kind of bowing out and that generation is really almost done, this new generation is phenomenal. We're going to be set for, you know, the next 10, 15 years of really high level basketball all around the, all around the, the, the nation, like all different teams. Right. I mean, we're seeing it with, with the emergence of Jason. T- we're seeing how good Jason Tatum is. People are saying he's the best player in the East right now, which is possible. We just saw what Luka did. We just saw what Donovan and Jamal Murray just did. It's, it's impressive, man, and you're right. There's going to be some, there's some big shoes that are going to have to be filled, but I think they're going to fill them quite well. That series, which starts tonight, Clippers-Denver, the only thing I'm kind of worried about is the Jokic position. Zubac's been playing really well. I think foul trouble, the way these refs are playing these games, which we're going to talk about the officiating here in a second, but I just want Zub to stay out of foul trouble. I think Pat Patterson is going to be used a little more. I'm not sure what's wrong with Noah or even if we're going to even be using him. He hasn't even had his jersey on um, the past couple games, so I'm not too sure where that's going. But it's going to be huge for Trez and uh, and Zub. we got to see a lot out of them. What's your call on the series? Uh, Yeah, I think Clippers in six is a pretty good call. Um, I think it could be – I think it could be five or four even, but – we have to see what Jokic brings to the table. And I assume Jamal is going to get at least one 30-point game somewhere in there. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, based on the shaky nature of Paul George, you know, how up and down he's been, the fact that Pat Bev's still going to take some time to get back into the rhythm of being, you know, playing full time. I, I, I think Denver's going to snake at least one or two games off of this series. But I do think the Clippers will win. Kawhi, 32-10-5 and five is what he's averaging right now. Just a freaking machine, dude. 
Um, and they have no answers for him. That's the thing. So as far as Paul George, as, no, but no, totally. I mean, LeBron is, for instance, for the Lakers would be a, a, you know, a difficult matchup for Kawhi. We know that. But as far as Denver is concerned, it's a very similar problem um, that they had trying to guard Donovan Mitchell. Like they don't have defensive stoppers. Now they have Gary Harris, right? And he's back and he seems to be playing really well. But they don't have Will Barton still, as far as I know. And Gary can only guard one guy, right? So if, it, if he's guarding Paul George, then you, you feed Kawhi. If he's guarding Kawhi, you, you try and feed Paul George and go that route because they don't have enough uh, defensive player. I mean, Torrey Craig is, is fine and is good. good. Body. And, he's a good body to have. Yeah. Yeah, he'll be, he'll be, you know, all right. But he's, he's not – he really hasn't reached his peak as far as, like, defense is concerned, um, I think. Uh, but, I, yeah, I think the matchups are going to be very um, obvious, like the matchup advantages – where you guys really won't have an answer for, for Jokic and they won't really have an answer for your one-two punch of Kawhi and Paul George. So I think I, that's why I think the Clippers will win. And game one, which is tonight, Denver only had a one-day rest. You know, we've had five – or, th- yeah, we've had four, four days off. Lakers have had five days off, if not more. They might have had damn near a week, right? Close. Maybe not. Well, yeah, we had to play that last game that we had to play that last Portland game after the boycott, like the, the suspension of games for those two days. So we, it's been four days, I think, for us too, four or five days. So one day arrest for Jamal Murray, and he was pissed after the game when they told him. <laughs> he seems like, I don't get two days. <laughs> he was upset. But all right, uh, let's move on to who you're facing next, which is going to be the Houston Rockets. Hats off again to OKC and Chris Paul. This is why I had Chris Paul as my top five point guards ever to live. Okay, and I got a lot of heat for it from a few people. Chris Paul just showed us right now why he is one of the best point guards ever to live. He is a great leader. He shows he's been clutch his whole life. Maybe not have won a title, you know, a couple injuries here and there, but he single-handedly led this team to exactly where they're at, right? And I really wanted uh, Houston. I wanted Houston to win, so you so it'd be a tough matchup against the Lakers. But deep down inside, I wanted Chris Paul to to win, you know, and just to shove it to Houston. You know how much I hate Houston. I'm not a nobody's really a big Houston fan, um, but I think it'll be a better matchup against the Lakers. But there's a reason why he is one of the clutchest players of all time. You know that game six, Drew, was another historic game. But yeah, that those those threes that he hit in the fourth quarter of game three, and some of the other plays that he made in in the crunch time there or excuse me, of game six, I think I said game three, mm-hmm. uh, game six, uh, were phenomenal. He but, wanted Covington. He wanted Covington on every screen and roll, on every mismatch. And, you know, again, with the officiating, here's a crazy fact. Uh, Scott Foster, who was the official last night, they have history with, with James Harden and with Chris Paul. Rockets have lost seven straight playoff games with, with Scott Foster officiating. Chris Paul has lost nine straight playoff games with Scott Foster officiating. So that's pretty random, okay? Wow. Yeah. Isn't that wild? So somebody had to win last night. In both of those games that we watched, Milwaukee and this game, a lot of officiating issues, you know. But back to Chris Paul really fast. Just the way he leads the game. And and they have nobody, like really nobody. Shea kind of had a tight butthole for a while there. And I I had this analogy. Where you, you know that phrase like uh, too many chiefs, not enough Indians? I feel, yeah. I feel that Miami and OKC were too many Indians and not enough chiefs, right? And they finally get their chief in Chris Paul and Jimmy Butler. 
and it just works. Like they're a team full of really good players that needed one great leader, right? To, to make the, and take full control. Like I'm sure OKC was perfectly fine when Chris Paul came in and was like, okay, I'm the alpha. This is how we're going to run this show. And same thing with Jimmy. We already know how he's been embraced on that team and how he's allowed to be himself. And there's nobody's going to whine and bitch that Jimmy's talking to me this way. That's just who he is. So with a 0.2% chance to make the playoffs, OKC takes it down to the last shot, uh, one block shot. Um, and I want to talk about Lou Dort here in a second. So, well, yeah, let me, let me just, I'm going to back up a little bit because mm-hmm. while Chris, Chris Paul definitely deserves the praise that, that you're bestowing and that we're both giving him at this point. Um, the reason that Harden got the block shot was because Chris fucked up that last play. That's true. Right? He's taking it. They called a shit ton of timeouts and there was all that, all that nonsense that went on in the last couple seconds, but they, he had the ball in his hands and he went nowhere. He is the guy. He's supposed to be the leader. Uh, go ahead and take the shot. You don't want that shot going to Lou Dort, even though Dort had the best offensive game of his life uh, going that night. And who knows, maybe he would have hit the shot had James not blocked it. Who knows? But that's, that was disappointing to me. And I do think that actually kind of speaks um, against some of the clutch points that you brought up. Yes, Chris Paul is clutch. He has hit big shots in his career, but you know, a lot of his track record is also the other way with whether it be through injury or just, you know, not cutting it when it matters in, in his games with Houston, that was really disappointing. I wanted to see Chris Paul take the shot. There's not really anybody that can stay in front of him as far as I'm concerned on that Houston team. Um, so that was a letdown. And, and, you know, I know he did a lot to get that team where it was for them to even be in a game seven it was amazing. And like even in the beginning of the year, we were all like, ah, they might be okay, but we don't even think they're going to make the playoffs. And look, he showed that he still has a lot left in his tank. And whether or not he ends up staying in Oklahoma or gets traded away this offseason, we know that he's still got it. And who knows? I've been hearing a lot of uh, Chris Paul to Milwaukee rumors, especially if Milwaukee continues to lose games. We, we could explore that. I mean, they, who knows what will happen to him. But uh, you're absolutely right. He, does, he, he needs to be commended for uh, his leadership. But I do think he should have taken that last shot. Now, the, James Harden does a really good job defensively here. It wasn't, it wasn't a terrible play, but it was a broken down play. Shea swings it to Dort, who's wide open. Um, and Dort was just so laser focused on shooting in this game because he was actually hitting that he missed a wide open Steven Adams under the basket to, to tie the game up. But Dort, all he had to do was just a quick dump straight down. Steven Adams had PJ Tucker pretty much sealed and the basket was right in front of him. Uh, but Dort decides to pull was he that had 30 the, points. I get it. Was that on the, I don't think that was on the Dort play. I think that was on the inbound you're talking about. It was both. So pre, like the, right before the ball was inbounded, mm-hmm. on the very last play, Steven Adams was, was open. And then that play broke down on the inbounds, and they, could just, they just threw it to Steven Adams for no reason, apparently, and, and he did, bobbled it and then went outside. How do you call three timeouts, bro, and come up with that fucking play? Right. That was that was also really discouraging. Um, we know that Billy Donovan's a pretty good coach, but that play was was nonsense. It just didn't work. Like nothing, nothing, none of the none of the runs they made made any sense. Who would have thought that out of this amazing catalog of games for James Harden, you know, averaging thirty eight, his fifty pieces, his you know, all this offensive juggernaut stuff, that the biggest play in his career was a block because that was the biggest play of his career, dude. If he doesn't block that shot and Dort hit the game winner after 
after Dort been playing him phenomenally, right? The best defense I've ever seen on James Harden. You said the same thing. If that shot goes down, that whole system crumbles. D'Antoni's out. Uh, you know, Maury's probably ghost. We got to figure out what we're going to do with Harden and Russ. But that single play for James Harden was the best play of his career, in my opinion. Yeah, and it was an unexpected play, right? Like, we, we don't ever really talk about James Harden defensively other than to make fun of him and how, how bad he is at defense. And we know that he's definitely taking that to heart because his numbers speak different than what you might look at as far as his effort is concerned. He's always one of the top guys in steals every year. He's one of the top guys in deflections. He's way stronger than people give him credit for, I think, defensively. Like when someone tries to back him down or post him up, it's, he's like a brick wall. But we, we do know that he doesn't really excel typically um, in these tight scenarios. So it was, it was an, a really unbelievable block and a, and a secondary unbelievable move to dodge the ball that was being thrown at him. Like he had to jump and move his legs out of the way. And that takes some awareness. I mean, because normally that ball, like Dort, what he decided to do is try and throw it off his leg. Normally that happens and OKC gets the ball back. But yeah, hats off to that, to, to James Harden. And honestly, despite the fact that Russell is really not looking very, Russell Westbrook is not looking very good. Bro, can we you know, talk to be that? honest, man, I think in that game six may have been the worst game that I've ever seen Westbrook play. And maybe the worst game that he's played since like high school. Bro, Dude. That was horrific. The, there's these those basketball movies or TV shows where like somebody's totally throwing the game and it looks so fake. That's exactly what Russell looked like. It looked like he was shaving points because he played so bad. <laughs> the turnovers and that 15 foot air ball was like I'm like oh, oh my god. Serious. And just it looks like he has absolutely no idea what to do offensively besides put his head down and go to the rim. He looked horrible, dude. And even in the last game, he did not look well at all. Right. Yeah, these last two games have not been a good look for Russ. He still ended up with 20 points and, like, nine boards in, the, in game seven. Um, and we know effort's never going to be a problem with him, right? Like, he's, we know he's going to try as hard as he can. He's going to go for every rebound. He's going to jump on every loose ball that he can get to. But you're absolutely right, dude. He, like, lost the game. Like, it's like he looks so out of pace. And all those passes that he would normally make, like when he drives to the rim and someone, you know, there's like a double or help is there and he would find the open pass or something that we saw Luca do with beautiful efficiency his entire season, but especially against the Clippers. He was throwing the ball to like the third row and, and to the ref and to just people that were two inches, like two feet the other direction. He's throwing the ball anywhere other than where it's supposed to be and anywhere other than in the hoop. I, you don't see him airball much. If anything, it's clanks, right? Like, it's normally clanks. But, you know, and, and mind you, at the end of that game, it should have been Harden having the ball in his hand. So, but, you know, history is what it is. Uh, this is crazy, though. Like, Lakers-Houston are next, right? And I think it's going to be a good, good matchup. But China bans all of Houston's games, right? They're not allowed to, to play Houston games. So nobody in China is going to be watching – the the Lakers Houston that's a that's crazy right yeah I mean I'm sure someone will have some sort of a legal streaming I mean and China locks that shit down pretty good so who knows but the Daryl Morey thing still rings true for a lot of those the, the members of the Chinese government and um, you know honestly I could give a shit whether or not China's watching these games because all I give a shit about is whether or not the Lakers can actually pull this out now when we look at this matchup, I was hoping Oklahoma City would win because I think we would have taken care of business much easier against mm -hmm. Oklahoma City. Even though they're a good team and all that stuff, they're just the worst 
version of the Lakers. So it would have been kind of an easy – it would have been a wrap, I think. We would have handled that in five games, no that's problem. Why I, that's why I wanted Utah, dog. Right. Yeah, same thing. Right. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I think this, this matchup with Houston is, is definitely cause for concern. Um, we know that the Lakers' weaknesses are still on our guards. We, we do have Rondo back in the mix, which is very exciting. I'm, I'm is very that uh, happy it, to see him. Is that Look, exciting? man, we, I, I'm excited about it because we need as many options at guard as we can right now because we know the up-and-down nature of, of KCP and Caruso and Danny Green. We just need – if Rondo can bring some stability and some, some ways to get – Braun and Anthony Davis more points and letting Rondo kind of handle some of the ball handling. And honestly, on defense, he, he has been – like he always gets credit for being a good defender, Rondo does, because of all the years that he was. He certainly isn't as good of a defender as he was several years back, but he still is very smart. He still has crazy long hands. Mm-hmm. He still knows how to read the game. Um, so I'm definitely going to welcome him back. I'm excited to see him back. But tomorrow? the – I don't think he's going to play yet, but I know that he's, he's close. Um, so I do expect him to play at some point in this series. The big, the big thing here is Anthony Davis, right? We, uh, we saw him put up some really good numbers eventually against Portland, something that we needed from him um, after you know, that weird game one that he showed out, uh, kind of a uh, little lackadaisical. That shit can't fly in this series. He has to be... Uh, dominating offensively against whoever they decide to match up against. We assume it's going to be P.J. Tucker or Robert Covington um, or Jeff Green. But all three of those guys are guys that he needs to go at. He needs to be going for, you know, 35 to 40 every night. And I think, you know, LeBron, I think, also has that that same kind of matchup for him, right? They don't really have who's – who's going to guard LeBron? James Harden? One of those guys is going to always have – uh, an advantage, whether it's in the post or, you know, just in that small short corner. I, I do think that we can, the Lakers can handle this series pretty easily. I, I'm hoping that we can do it in five games, but all of that's going to come down to the, the variable of Houston making threes, which we know if they hit 40% of their threes, they can win any game. And it doesn't matter how well we're doing offensively. If we score 120 points, they can put up 135 if they're hitting those threes. Uh, I think the good thing that we have going for us is that Russ is like we like we just talked about. He seems to be completely off pace, um, and I, I don't see that necessarily getting any better immediately. Um, but he is going to have a really, I would say, a really relatively easy matchup, uh, whether it's KCP or Caruso, whoever we end up putting on him. Uh, I think Russ might be the X factor here, and if he plays like this, we could sweep him. But if he plays better, if he plays like the Russ that we know he can play like. This could turn into a six or seven game series. It's so funny that he's having such a bad game and he's still rocking the baby to sleep on these guys. Like, come on, bro. Like, chill. I think we have to give a little more credit to how the defense has played on Houston. Like, I really like the scrappy defense. They're all kind of locked in on D, uh, all, all hands on deck. I'd like to see Houston try to run a zone. And Anthony Davis should be getting to the line 15 times a night. Like, that's just basically what it is. That he, he can foul out these guys really quick. And I think you brought it up, that first Houston versus Laker game when they tried this whole new defense, um, it worked really well. It, it, you know, AD wasn't used to that. He wasn't used to the, the small, strong guy on him with the double coming fast. I'd like to see how this goes. Again, it's going to come down to three-pointers. You guys got to hit the threes as well. 
Uh, it should be a fun series. I think I honestly think that this can go this can go seven just with how many threes these guys shoot. And Eric Gordon, of course, it can. Yeah, uh, Eric Gordon had a, had a rough couple games. Austin Rivers hasn't been playing well, uh, but Gordon came out pretty pretty good last night. Or yeah, last night. So if he can keep that shit going, who knows? Plus the Lakers are well rested. You guys needed your rest. You know what I mean? So let's talk about the 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 number the number quote unquote the number one team in the NBA, uh, Milwaukee, who just you know, you you called it last week. You you have Miami in six. That was your your Drew bomb that you dropped. I know you're really happy about that. Um, and you can just tell, like, this is why you and I were not sold on Milwaukee, though, right? They don't have anybody that can create their own shot. I get it. Chris Middleton's nice. Uh, you know, Giannis is in, in, probably going to be MVP, but. When you have a team like Miami, who literally has all the fixings of a great team, they have shooters, they have athletes, they play defense, they've bought into, they have a superstar. And actually, Jimmy Butler, I don't want to call a superstar, but a star, Jimmy Butler, who is, like he said, locked in, didn't bring any family members to the bubble. This is a business trip. I'm here to win. Uh, hits the weight room right after game one after dropping 40 and goes and lifts weight. Like if he's not, if that's your leader, that's the kind of guy I want to see leading. Like, okay. So the quote today was everybody's saying, I think it was Richard Jefferson said, uh, Giannis is a Pippin, right? And it turned into this whole big thing. Pippin got upset about it. LeBron hopped in on it. And I get what Richard Jefferson is saying, right? Like he needs another player. Giannis can't shoot. He, does, he really doesn't have back-to-the-basket game at all. He was shooting poorly from the free-throw line. And, again, I don't want to dog on Giannis because he's a two-time – he'll be two-time MVP. He's defensive player of the year right now. But watching them play, dude, is it, it, it just looks super dysfunctional. And I'm not bought in on Bledsoe. We're seeing that DiVincenzo just is not meant for the playoffs right now. Uh, Middleton's been playing really well, but it's not enough. Milwaukee is, is very one-dimensional. They, they don't have a lot of different creative looks that they give on offense. They're a system team. They have, you know, some nice motion offense that they do. But really, they only have Giannis, and that's what they go off. And, then, you know, of course, Middleton can hit his shot. So he has, he's been having some pretty good games for them um, overall, um, at least in this series. But this was, this was the whole reason I picked Miami to win this series, because it has to do with everybody else on the court. And, you know, in game one, both Bam at a buy or game one and two, both Bam and Jay Crowder have been doing really good jobs of making Giannis take difficult shots, even though he's still doing his thing. I mean, in game one, he only had 18 points, uh, which is exactly what you want to see if you're Miami. Like, have Middleton and Brooke Lopez try and beat you if, if, if that's the case. But it's, it's, it's everybody else on the court. I mean, Dragic is playing his ass off right now. I don't know if I've seen him play better. But he's, he's locked in. Um, anytime that Duncan Robinson gets a, a fucking fraction of an opening, he's launching and he's hitting those threes. Um, and it's, it, it is what you said. Like, so Jimmy drops 40 points in game one and basically just puts it every – like the second half just puts the whole team on his back and just goes, I got this. Um, and then in game two, we had a fucking one of the one of the gnarliest endings. <laughs> like Miami's up by like ten points, <laughs> and then in the last like forty eight seconds, they they get tied up um, after a ridiculous foul call on Middleton against Dragic, where he literally perfectly still he did the textbook uh, what every ref says you have to do, which is don't jump 
Put your hands straight up in the air. Maintain your space. Don't lean forward. Mm -hmm. And he did that, and they just called a ridiculous foul call. Um, and everyone is talking about the crazy foul call on Jimmy to end game two, when really it was it's Mark Davis doing a makeup call. We 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 know this happens in the league. Unfortunately, these refs sometimes uh, they they feel like they need to you know be a part of the game or try and control it in some way. And you know for a fact, had Mark Davis not blown his whistle. Um, in, in that previous foul call and got Middleton free three, three free throws to tie the game, he definitely wouldn't have blown his whistle uh, with, the, with the touch foul on Jimmy. But I will say Giannis does touch Jimmy on the side as he's shooting. He's not down. And that's more of a foul than the Middleton, was, than the Middleton foul was for me. I get what you're saying, Drew. I, get, I hate it when it comes down to referees dictating the game. I hate it. You know how much – I hate Mark Davis okay, for this for this exact reason. All right, it's like it's seriously like a Joey Crawford complex where they have to be. You know, it comes down to what Mark Davis is going to do. I'm with you on the 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 Dragic foul, and I am so upset that the last shot of the game, that the defensive player of the year and the and the reigning gets called for that bullshit play. And it was the ball's already released. He's just trying to get out of the way. It's, it's a no-call, and I guarantee you if you ask 95% of all the referees, they would have said it's a no-call. And there shouldn't be this, this whole narrative of makeup calls. There should be no such thing as a makeup call. You make the right call, and if you don't make the right call, run it. Run it back. Let's see if I made the right call or not. Being down 0-2 to Miami right now is going to be tough. With all this talk about, which I don't even know where they're getting their information from, that Giannis is going to leave in 2021. That's what they're already talking about because they're already putting this team, you know, uh, on, on ice already. But there are a lot of these teams, like the Houston Rockets too, who are really great regular season teams. But when, when buttholes get tight, it's a little different. So the, the only way – and again, like Brooke Lopez only shoots threes now. He shot eight shots last night and five of them were threes. You know, if, if your best three-point shooter is your seven-foot center, that's messed up. You know, uh, the homie ball, uh, ball Don't Stop said something today, and he put up three pictures of point guards that Milwaukee's had. Brandon Jennings, Monte Ellis, and O.J. Mayo, right? And he's like, this is the kind of player that Milwaukee needs. Like, all three of these guys can create their own shot, get to the lane. I, you know, I really like Bledsoe, and Bledsoe can, like, get to the lane a lot. But these are scoring point guards that know that – you know, can get to the foul line, can give you 30 points. Um, and that's kind of what they're lacking right now. So that, that whole call of like, uh, if, you know, if they had Chris Paul, yeah, maybe that, that might be better. But we're going to have to see a complete takeover of Giannis. That's what I'm going to, you know, because if you yeah. go down, if they get swept, which they can, you know, you brought up Dragic, creates his own shot. Tyler Hero can create his own shot. Uh, we all know what Jimmy can do. And then Crowder and, and Duncan and, and Nunn, like all these guys can shoot three-pointers too. They got, a, they got a lot of firepower off that bench, bro. And I, I really like that call you made because they're getting exposed right now. They, they truly are getting exposed. Yeah, I, I think the big miss for Milwaukee for this season was letting Malcolm Brogdon go, mm -hmm. right? That, that's a guy that they literally had an option to pay the money and keep him. And, you know, shit, Indiana offered him a shit ton of money that maybe he did or didn't deserve. But Malcolm Brogdon is exactly who they're missing right now, right? Really good defensive player. At improving every year offensively. And we saw him drop some really good, you know, against this Miami team, some really big games offensively for Indiana. 
And I, I do think that that, you know, with Budenholzer and, and you know, the, the Milwaukee front office, when they look back, they go, well, man, what do we need? And I, I think Malcolm Brogdon was the answer that they let slip between their fingers. Richard Jefferson's comments about the Pippen, though, like I get where he's coming from on that. But look, Rich, Richard is, is doing a great job, right? We're all talking about what he said. Richard Jefferson just made a nice analogy and just threw something out there that he knew would ruffle some feathers. And it, he nailed it. Do I need to take him seriously? No. Because, look, the, dude, the same thing could have been said if you called Giannis Michael without Pippen, right? Like, it's the same conversation, right? Is he Scottie Pippen? Is he Michael without Pippen? It's the same shit. Giannis, to me, is more Michael Jordan without a Pippen than he is a Pippen without a Jordan. Uh, if, if we really want to get into the teeth of that, then fine. But look, Scottie Pippen was a great player. <laughs> uh, but even he came out and said that he was never an MVP. And I think Giannis is a better all-around player than Scottie ever was. You know, when you, when you look at what he can do defensively and what he can do offensively, it's not really fair to compare them because Giannis is fucking seven feet tall um, and plays in an era that's completely different, all that other stuff that goes into it. Uh, but I do think whatever version of that that we want to go with, whether he's Pippen or Jordan, he is missing that other piece, right? And Milwaukee was there thinking that Middleton can fill that role. And as I've said before, Middleton is nice. He's serviceable. He's good. Um, but he is not, you know, your, your, your 1B. He's a, he's a number two player. He, he's not going to be that, like, superstar level where Giannis – isn't you know isn't making it happen and, and Middleton can go for 40 or 50 on an, any given night now we know that he can do that Middleton has gone for you know 50 point games before but um, with the matchups that we're talking about he's having to go up against Jimmy Butler Andre Iguodala uh, Jay Crowder at time like they're throwing a lot of defensive problems at both of their superstars which is why I do think that and that's why I called the way that I did that Miami was going to take care of business in the series and one thing I really want to point out is, is what happened in game two for Miami. Um, you know, we know the crazy ending and all that stuff. Miami had this game one, you know, with two minutes left, and then they kind of let the ball drop a little bit. But they, Miami had seven players scoring double figures in game two. And that's the shit that I'm talking about. Milwaukee can do that, it, it, but it's going to take that sort of effort from everybody on Milwaukee in order for them to turn this around. And I just don't see it. And who knows, man, it could be a sweep. Uh, and if it's a fucking sweep, then you best believe Giannis is bouncing. And that's, if you remember, that's how I finished my call. I said Miami in six, and Giannis is gone uh, and is going to leave eventually. That's my, my, that's my, my, whole call. Thing is, my whole thing is leaving all that money on the table, though. Like, the, the whole, I don't think that Giannis, and I'm sticking to this, I don't think Giannis is going to be a chaser. I don't think he's going to Kevin Durant and go to Golden State. I know a lot of people say Golden State. Um, Toronto would be a better look if he goes anywhere, but leaving Supermax money on the table is pretty wild, dude. Pretty. pretty well, look, I think, I think what they're going to do is, or what Giannis has at least is he can go, look, show me something, bring me somebody, let me know that I can stay here. Like this off season, you know, even if Milwaukee gets through this round and, and somehow gets past Miami and, and maybe loses in the next round or even in the finals, the, the goal for Giannis is a championship, and that's what he's wanting, right? If they don't get a championship this year, at whatever stage they lose, he's going to go back to them and say, keep me here. Bring somebody here that wants to play with me, that wants to play in the system that makes me stay. You're right. There is a lot of money that, that he might lose out on. 
but it's not, you know, it's not that much money in comparison to what he's going to earn somewhere else. Plus all the other endorsements that he's bringing in. Look, but that money can be made up uh, not only with endorsement money and other things, but can be made up by winning a championship, which is something that I do think Giannis values more necessarily over uh, extension money. Whether he gets 200 million or 180 million, you know, I think he'll lean into whatever the situation that he thinks is going to get him closest to that championship. It was interesting in game one, though, when Jimmy's getting all the buckets and the defensive player of the year didn't want to guard him. Like, you, you know, Kawhi would have done that. LeBron would have done that. Pat Beverly would have done that. You know, just let me have him. It would have been, it would have been nice to see Giannis step it up. And they asked him after the game, and he was a little butthurt about the question, too. Well, it's not his position. I get it. it. It's not his. It's not his position, right? It, it, we, Kawhi would do it because they would be matched up against each other. They're both small forwards. Like I understand the point. I, as if I was a Milwaukee fan, I would be like Giannis. I, why are you waiting for Budenholzer to tell you to do this? Mm-hmm. Jimmy Butler is dropping forty points right now. Can you Cook go it. stop him? Yeah. Can you just throw just maybe a couple possessions? Just throw him off what he was doing for a couple possessions. Um, and yes, you want to see your superstar take the initiative there. But he also has a lot of faith in Budenholzer, and why not? I mean, Budenholzer has done a fantastic job with his team. We can't say that he hasn't done a good job. He's doing his best trying to coach this team to win as many games as possible, and for the most part, they do that. Uh, but right now, it's pretty clear that they're missing something. Yeah, we'll see what happens in game three tomorrow. I'm really interested. We got uh, uh, Toronto and Boston are on right now. I'm missing it. Are you watching it right now? What we- uh, yeah, I literally the tip-off – like just is happening right now. So the game is, is just, just starting right now. Boston is up to nothing. This is a surprise. I thought this series for sure was going to be a seven game series. I did not think it was going to be, uh, you know, Boston pulling out two victories the way that they did. Both games were very, very close. And Marcus Smart is playing some of his best basketball that he's playing right now. But this could be where we end up seeing somehow a Boston-Miami Eastern Conference final that I don't think too many people were thinking was going to happen. But if Toronto wants to at all make it out of this series, they have to win this game right now. So that's my thing, too, though. Toronto, who's who's your guy? Is Siakam your your go-to guy? Is it really Fred Van Vliet is your your go-to guy? So I think they're struggling with that as well because they need a guy on that squad to take over and get those 30 pieces – every single night and I'm, yeah. just, I'm not sure that they have that guy right now yeah going back to your like chief and indian you know analogy earlier the mm-hmm. chief left town i mean Kawhi dipped right so they all they are left with is is the indians in that in that analogy mm-hmm. um and what they've what they've seen and what they've shown is that these indians are very very strong right like they're this team is fucking good mm-hmm. the, the players are good but they they don't have alpha dog we all assumed that it would be Pascal Siakam, uh, but he, it is not. He's not there yet, and and who knows? He's very, very good. He always is improving, so maybe he gets there soon. But unfortunately for for Toronto, I do think this is Kyle Lowry. Like you, he's the guy, right? He's Mr. Toronto, he, and we know that he's not necessarily the most electric offensive player, but he's got to be the guy that that starts to take you know the important shots that 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 needs to really start scoring. And, and trying to get something happen, especially in tight moments. He's got to be the guy that, that lifts him over the edge. And I don't know if he can do that against this Boston team. And that's your favorite player, too, Kyle Lowry. Right. And he's going up against Marcus Smart, bro. Like that, and Marcus Smart, as I said, is, is really playing some of his best basketball of his career right now. And um, you know, we know how good he is defensively. Give me him on my team any single day. 
I want to bring up one more thing that we forgot to say about uh, the Houston OKC game. That last freaking play, there was about – well, not the second to last play. There was about $35,000 worth of flopping violations on that last play. Bodies just flying everywhere. How corny. You know, sometimes the NBA can get real corny, bro. Like, can we just can we just play defense and not try to flop everywhere? Chris took two. Harden took one. I think I think PJ took one too. And then nobody's blowing the whistle. Nobody blows the whistle during that time, but they'll blow the whistle on a ticket yeah. bullshit foul. That was really funny. Yeah, that was funny. Eric Gordon was involved in there too. He tried to flop and, and say that somebody. It was it was like four or five bodies on the ground though, in in a matter of like three seconds. Hey, Eric Eric Gordon might be up there with Luca with throwing the most tantrums during a basketball game. Can you imagine the the nonstop talking and just every call in that OKC Houston series that these reps like every call it it wasn't just one player it's like the whole fucking all if you blow a foul against Houston everybody James Harden Russ the people on the bench everyone's in it. and then OKC Chris Paul is just in the ref's ear every play down the floor ba 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 oh watch the hook watch this and then you know anything anytime that they get a call against them it's like oh come on I, I understand that the refs, I don't know how they would deal with that. Cause I would just, I would, I think I would, I would do a Billy Crystal and just eject everybody. I'm just, Everybody's out you're here. just talking way too much to me. Everybody's gone. You get a T, you get a T. We're just going to end this with 26 free throws and they're all going to be shot by the last player on the bench. All right. If you can't tell Kona is awake in the background. So that, that means that we have to wrap it up. We'll be yep. back in the studio on Saturday. Uh, go Clippers game one tonight. We're going to take them out with yet another classic. Black Rob, whoa, you know this is one of the hardest beats ever created, ever in music. So turn it up, bang it, check out basketballnews.com, check out the site, you're going to love it. It is the follow-through with Clips and Drew and Kona, and we go. I had this bad bitch of town, she was whole. Had me fucked up in the head, I mean, whoa. Bought the fish, diamonds, and pearls, I mean, whoa. Should have seen them shit shining on the wrist. Now money ain't a problem, see my dough is like, Pulled out my bankroll on y'all niggas like, Lost the boots, went from two-tenth like, Faggot wanna peep my blueprints, I'm like, Had to hit the brakes on y'all niggas like, Niggas getting both on my block like, Coming home within a half an hour like, Front like they had the manpower like, More or less, more so, I rip guitar so, I live the fast life, Come through in the fall slow like, my niggas, like dough, like dro, nitro, might flow, nice clothes, like whoa. East Bay with cocaine, like whoa. Now I'm Doc Strange in the range, like whoa. 100 miles an hour switching lanes, like whoa. Plus I'm getting brain from this chick, like whoa. Finger near nigga, asshole, like whoa. Team floor switches and bitches, like whoa. Nine nine Jag Benz coupe, like whoa. Keep them cheese lines on your blocks, like whoa. Grenade through your window, bitch. Like whoa, love to see me do this shit. Like whoa, niggas put me through this shit. Like whoa, so I'ma go toe to toe, blow for blow. Like whoa, and whip guitar so live the fast life. Come through in the ball slow. Like whoa, my niggas like dough, like dro, nitro, my flow, nice clothes. Like whoa, we bag it, then flip it. Like whoa, cars we jack it, then strip it. Like whoa. Fully equipment, front to back like whoa. Spitting on fiends that come for crack like whoa. Asking for shorts and shit, nigga, like whoa. Half on this quote, now nigga, that's whoa. 
flow so properly, you'll see I'm woke. Ain't no stopping me, I'm deep like woe. Guns be popping, beat with creep like woe. Hear my name in these streets, it's like woe. Must I pound the concrete like woe? Fill his bitch ass, head to feet like woe. Your man ain't woe. The judge ain't woe. CO's ain't woe. PO's ain't woe. Play yourself, I get the GI Joe. DIC, K Riders ain't woe. I rip guitar soul, live the fast life. Come through in the bus slow like woe. My niggas, light dough, light tro, night tro, my flow, nice clothes, I flow. Niggas getting money in VA is woe. Honey's looking right in ATL is woe. Niggas flipping homes in shot town is woe. Bitches taking paper in LA is woe. Niggas stacking dough in DC is woe. Beyond DR, hold me down like woe. Ballers in Detroit, hold me down like woe. Niggas in New Orleans getting money is woe. Boston and Jersey motherfuckers is woe. Florida niggas and Philly niggas is woe. Tampa and Texas, Cleveland is woe. Memphis and Lil Rock, my niggas is woe. Panama niggas, they hold me down like woe. My New York peoples, they hold me down like woe. Bad boy nigga, where this bomb we woe. Alumni bitches, where this bomb we woe. And CSC motherfuckers is woe. My nigga fuck wild, where this bomb he woe.